this is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube, iHeartRadio, Apple, Amazon Music. I'm Michael Adams, creator of Legacy Battle. My panelists tonight from the Gridiron Battle Zone, Brian King from Steelers Nation South, Rollo Cawthon. From the Walker Report, we got Bradley Walker, our special guest tonight. He's, a, he's hockey royalty, a, a legend internationally. He's a member, check this out, the Manitoba Hockey Hall of Fame, the International Ice Hockey Hall of Fame, the Swedish Hockey Hall of Fame, the World Hockey Association Hall of Fame. He's a Bill Masterson Trophy winner, NHL All-Star, 50 goals in the 50 Games Club. He's, he was GM of Team Sweden in 2000. And I'd give you some more information on him, but I have to actually represent him later on in this debate. So I'm going to hold off the rest. But we got we got the great Anders Hedberg here. Anders, thank you for coming on. Terrific. Thanks for letting me on. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Tonight's uh, debate is going to be the top five European hockey players uh, forwards of all time. As always, afterwards, we'll have a Q&A um, about uh, Mr. Hedberg's career here. But we're going to start out tonight with Brian and Yari Curry. All right, Yari Curry, right winger, six foot, even, 194 pounds, born in Helsinki, Finland. Uh, in 1980 to, to 1988, he was in the NHL 17 seasons, mostly with the Oilers, some, also some time with the Kings, a couple other teams after that. Now, there's a narrative that follows this guy that says he was only great because of Wayne Gretzky. But I'm here to say this is far from the truth. Uh, this is sort of a casual fan uh, take, I think. The real ones know that the Oilers were really struggling uh, despite having Gretzky on their roster early on. And it was when they acquired Curry that things really took off in Edmonton, leading to the dynasty. Uh, Curry was Wayne's right-hand man. They developed a great chemistry. Uh, most of the time, Wayne started it, Curry finished it. Uh, with his great instincts to get open in the offensive zone and deadly accurate shot. In a span of 13 years, Curry scored 30-plus goals in a season 11 times. Uh, he topped 40 in seven consecutive seasons. He led the NHL with 68 goals in the 85-86 season, and he had the eighth highest total in NHL history with 71 goals in the 84-85 season. Yet he was not strictly a goal scorer. Curry could back check and play defense as well as any forward in the league. Uh, Mark Messier once said that Curry should have won the Selkie Trophy at least once during his career. He was top five. He was a top five finalist four times. Uh, as far as the entirety of his career, Curry is 20th all time in goals, 33rd in assists, 23rd in points, and only Gretzky, Messier, Eiserman, and Lemieux scored more times shorthanded than Yari Curry. In 2001, he became the first native of Finland inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. So he made the great one better, but also he was great in his own right, Yari Curry. So Anders, as Brian said, the narrative around Yari Curry is if he didn't have Gretzky, he wouldn't have the numbers. So I, I totally disagree with that, but is he overshadowed because he played with Gretzky? <laughs> Not at all. I think uh, hockey is a team sports and the complement of Gretzky's playmaking mind, uh, Einstein of hockey. Uh, but Wayne certainly wasn't very strong in his own end. 
and the combination then of Yaris Kuri's intelligence on the ice. I mean, he covered areas. He, in his own end, he was absolutely perfect. And Wayne needed somebody like that. And with, the, with his shot and with his ability to find openings of Wayne's passing, you couldn't find a better combination of those two, two guys. And both of them, and, I, and we talk about Yari, very humble, no, no ego, adjusted to whatever surroundings, whatever line mates. Obviously, Wayne had all the, the headlines and Yari was in the shadow. You had Messier that had a much bigger ego. There was no conflicts whatsoever. Yari just produced and was a terrific, terrific teammate. Time and time again, he was winning Stanley Cups. You can't take that away from him. So and, and he was very important uh, uh, on that team. They had, they had a few other important players too, but he was actually one of the three, four, five key members of winning the Stanley Cup in Edmonton. Excellent. And but the others, obviously, had was Grant Fuhr, uh, Coffey, Messi, and Gretzky. And that's a pretty nice surrounding, <laughs> I would say. Yeah, you're going to win some games with those guys. <laughs> I think the chances is pretty good that you would win with those guys. Exactly. Let's move on to the ageless wonder, Yarmer Yager. Might be here all day talking about Yager, so. <laughs> exactly. He's still playing. He's still playing, so we might be here all day. But, uh, you know, Yarmer Yager was one of the first hockey players that I grew up watching because I'm from Pittsburgh and he broke in with the, with, with the Penguins, so. Uh, Yager from Kladno, Czech Republic. He's not probably the best uh, European bread player ever, but he's probably one of the best hockey players ever, period. So this is going to be easy. He's going to be in the top five. Um, but he started uh, playing professionally at age 16 with the Czech national team, uh, Paul D. Kladno. And um, at 17, he was playing for the Czech national team in the world championships. Uh, it was that performance in that Czech national team that he caught the eyes of the NHL scouts and he was drafted fifth overall by the, uh, my Pittsburgh Penguins, your Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, <clears throat> uh, he was one of the first players that did not have to defect, one of the first Czechoslovakian players that didn't have to defect to play it to get into the NHL. Um, but in his rookie season, he was uh, fourth on the team in scoring. Uh, so coming into the league as a young guy, young guy, 19 years old, he was fourth on the, the team in scoring. He's had a bunch of stars on that team, Mark Recchi, Mario Lemieux, uh, just a bunch of stars, and he was fourth on the team in scoring. Um, he had his first hat trick in 91, which is the first of 16. Um, for, for somebody who played so long, uh, he only had 16 hat tricks, but he is still one of the top scorers of all time. So that means he was consistent in his games when he played. Um, he uh, had 13 straight seasons, um, of 100 plus points, um, including a career high in the 95 96 season. Um, and with him, Lemieux, and Ron Francis, where they combined for 420 points in 95 96. That's crazy. Um, <clears throat> he also set the record for right wingers and Europeans with 62 goals and 87 assists. He's the only European player in the top 15 in career points, and only him and Tamu Solani, who we're going to discuss a little bit later, uh, are in the top 20 in scoring. 
10 times he had more than 90 plus points in a season. Uh, 12 times he had more than 25 goals. 18 times he had more than 25 goals in a season. He's first all time in game winning goals. So he came up clutch in big situations. Uh, he's on the 90 91 all rookie team. He's a 13 time all star. He's a five time Art Ross Trophy winner. Uh, he was the 99 Hart Trophy winner. He's three time Lester Pearson winner and the 2016 Bill Masterton winner. And he's one of only two Czech players in the Triple Gold Club. So this is a wrap for him. He's already just just put him. Let's, do, let's debate the other four on the top uh, top five. So, Anders, is he one on one the scariest player we're talking tonight because of his one? He's got he's got a he knows how to use his weight. He's got a big back rear end. Let's put it like that, so he can keep people off the puck. But his one on one stick skills are are incredible, outstanding. I've never seen anything like it, and I'm someone who grew up watching Mario. Um, so your thoughts on Yager? <laughs> I saw him, uh, I didn't know he was 17. I saw him as an 18 at the World Championship in Stockholm, here in Stockholm, 89. He was he was 17 or 18 at the time. Uh, I was actually sitting with the, the manager of Pittsburgh Penguins at the time, Craig Patrick, that I had worked for and was trying to recruit me to... Uh, to uh, Pittsburgh at the time, I worked in the front office. And uh, were Craig happy what he saw, his 18-year-old? And he was drafted at the time, I think. He was very happy. Obviously, we all could see this guy is going to be not only a good player, he's going to be a key player. He's going to be a franchise player. And that's exactly what he became. Even if he, I found him being in the shadow of Lemieux in Pittsburgh. Um, in, in terms of points, I think he produced the most a year in New York uh, when he was in New York. But here is a player that had, uh, first of all, so strong on his skates. Was he the fastest? No, he wasn't the fastest. His, the, but he was so strong on the puck, you couldn't take away the puck. And, and people were just bouncing off his big behind, uh, even more so when he became a little older and played a little differently than when he was really young. But here is, here is a play, player still playing. I don't, know, I don't know why. He can't be playing because of money. Yeah, I'm sure he's, he's filthy rich. Uh, he owns the club. Just because he loves the game, loves to play, loves to be in the dressing room. And that's the way, the, the, uh, the feeling I have when I see Jager. God, yes, I love the game and I know that he loves it too. He's never going to get in the Hall of Fame because he's never going to retire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you play with Ron Francis that sits on the selection committee of the Hawk Hall of Fame as well as I do. And... I think he has a pretty good chance, when, and, but he has to hang up his skates three years before he can be inducted. So <laughs> I would think, uh, I, can't, I can't say more than that, but I think he has a pretty good chance. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's move on to uh, Peter Forsberg. Peter Forsberg, uh, drafted six overall by the Philadelphia Flyers in 1991. Uh, he is from where our guest is from, the lovely country of Sweden. 
Um, from my hometown. There we go. We're oh. from the same hometown. Yes. Well, I was gonna. I, I don't, sir. I don't know how to pronounce that word, so I wasn't even gonna try and butcher I that. I can pronounce it for you in English. It's Ornsholtsvik, and yeah. in Swedish, it's Ornsholtsvik. Okay. Thank there you. you. I, I, didn't, I didn't even want to try <laughs> to even attempt to say that word. I I didn't want to butcher it. But, uh, I know. Uh, Forsberg played, uh, of course, with the Quebec Nordiques before they became the Colorado Avalanche. Um, he was part of two Stanley Cups with the Avalanche. Uh, he, like uh, like Yager, you know, I think he played in the shadow of Joe Sackick. He was the captain. You know, that was the, 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 the straw that stirred the drink for the Avalanche. Um, but he did win an Art Ross trophy. He's won a Hart Memorial trophy, a Calder Memorial trophy when he was with the Nordiques before they – Transfer to Colorado. He's in a Hockey Hall of Fame. Um, Three-time All-Star. And, you know, the cool thing about him is wherever he went, he wore the number 21. So I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> so with, with Forsberg, a lot of people forget he's drafted by the Philadelphia Flyers. And the third biggest trade in hockey history, as they call it, Eric Lindros refuses to play for Quebec. And the trade happens. And, well, Quebec turns into Colorado and wins a couple Stanley Cups. Philly is still waiting since 1970-whatever to win a cup. So who knows what might have happened had that trade not gone down. But, Anders, your, your thoughts on Forsberg, of all the players we're talking about tonight, he was the guy that was out there against the team's other best players. Very strong defensive forward and good at faceoffs. He uh... – he wasn't a, the greatest skater of, of everyone, not at all. But in many ways, he was very similar to Jager, incredibly strong on his skates. Uh, protected a puck extremely, extremely well. Um, and obviously, he saw the ice. I mean, he, uh, he wasn't Gretzky, but he was somewhere in that direction, meaning he knew where everybody else was on the ice. And he competed. He competed incredibly good. He competed better than 99% of the players in the NHL, meaning a very slim. If you're competing as hard as Peter did, and he competed also physically, so, and he was a mean sucker on the ice. Uh, but obviously, he made players around him better he, he was able to produce when the team really needed a production. Um, and he's one of those players that as a team member or, or as a team, you love to play with him. Have him on the ice. Put him on the ice. I don't care. Uh, he was open for... for uh, always available to be open for passes from the defenseman or other his teammates. And if you skated, uh, skated and uh, put your stick down, you knew that you were going to get the puck from Peter Forsberg. Excellent player. Unfortunately, injuries stalled his career. Uh, he had to leave a little early. He tried to come back. You think he played one or two games and, and he had to retire again because of injuries. But... Well, he, he had lots of, of India, which was a, a huge problem, both for Peter, but also for his teams, because you, you, really, uh, you really didn't know if he was going to be injured or if he's going to 
play, which a good player, uh, he consumed quite a bit of, of money on your, your pay scale and the, the money you were able to, uh, to maximum uh, payroll, which was a, 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 an issue uh, during his last half of his career in many ways. Yeah. Well, let's move, go back to Finland here. We're going to talk about Timu Solane, born in Finland, as I just stated, but played from 1992 to 2014. So a very, very long career. Spent it with the Jets, Sharks, Avalanche, the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim, and then later the Anaheim Ducks. He is currently 16th all-time in NHL history with points with 14,057. He is 12th in goals with 684, and that's better than everyone we're talking about tonight, except for that guy named Yager. Um, he did win Rookie of the Year, and this his Rookie of the Year, he took the league by storm. He put in 76 goals as a rookie, um, which tied him for the league lead with Alexander McGillany at the time. Um, but he did have more even strength goals than uh, McGillany. McGillany's extras came on the power play, so, you know, my opinion, it's a little harder to score even strength there. But the 10-time All-Star, Stanley Cup winner, uh, Maurice Richard and Bill Masterson winner, fourth all-time in power play goals, fifth in game winners. Um, he's led Finland internationally to six bronze medals and four silver medals. Um, he played internationally from juniors all the way till even like after he had retired. I, I think he still ended up playing at the Olympics after he retired there. So, um, but for a while, Timu and his uh, his linemate Paul Korea. They were pretty much the most feared line in hockey there for a while out there in Anaheim. Uh, once Lemieux retired the first time and Yager was kind of left alone, then then the best duo there was definitely Solane and Korea. So, Anders, your, your thoughts on, on Timu? Um, another, it seems like it seems like the Europeans have the longevity thing down for sure. I give them credit for that. Um, but what are your thoughts on Timu Solane? Well, you had Paul Correa and and Timo on your team. You better hurry up as a defenseman because that was speed. Both of those guys could fly, fly, fly. Uh, and Timo actually was the best player in the 2014 Olympics in Sochi as a 34-year-old. And Finland didn't have a very good team. He was the best player. Uh, and his game, I mean, he, he came to Winnipeg, and I still have so many friends. We played four years in Winnipeg. It's 100 years ago, but I still have so many friends there, and this is only when, uh, only, this is when uh, the, the Jets uh, sort of still in, 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 in the NHL before they disappeared, uh, went to Phoenix, and I could, I was living at the time, I don't know if I was living in Stockholm or in Toronto, uh, all my Winnipeg friends who were just, oh, were they enthusiastic. And in, in Winnipeg, um, Winnipeg, hockey is religion. It's, it's, not a, it's not a entertainment. It's not a, a pass-by, pass, sort of uh, fun thing a couple of days a week. They live and die hockey. And Timo Salone just took the city and Manitoba by storm, the way he played, with his speed, his enthusiasm, his smile uh, and flair of his game. And if you scored 76, and I know that 
he stayed a year or two longer in Finland because his lawyer was actually Don Baisley, a very good friend of mine, a lawyer out of Winnipeg. And Don and I have discussed so many times, it's better to arrive from Europe or from wherever you come, college, a little bit too late than too early. And, and Timo took that time to arrive exactly the right time. Winnipeg had a pretty good team and he scored 76 goals. Good for him. <laughs> All right, let's go on to uh, oh, Matt Sundin. All right, Matt Sundin at center. A big guy, six foot five, 240 pounds, uh, born in Brahma, Sweden. Uh, he, he played from 1989 to 2009, so 18 seasons there. Um, first overall pick of the draft by Quebec. Spent four seasons there, 13 seasons uh, with the Leafs, and then a season with the Canucks. So as part of Team Sweden, uh, he and his teammates were able to win three golds, two silvers, and two bronzes at the World Championships, and a gold in 2006 at Turin for the Winter Olympics. Uh, Soon Dean accumulated 94 points in 79 international games. So that's uh, almost a 1.2 points per game average, so really, really good. Uh, during his AHL career, uh, Sundin scored over 70 points in all but three of his seasons. Uh, and while, uh, while with the Leafs, he led the team in scoring in all but two years. He was the team captain for 11 consecutive seasons. Uh, he was a big reason behind the success that that team had. Uh, over his career, he was an eight-time All-Star. He had the most game-winning goals of the 03-04 season. He had the 12th most uh, career in uh, in the NHL history. Uh, he is 24th in career goals with 564, 36th in career assists, 30th in career points, 21st in shorthanded goals, and 38th in power play goals. He had eight hat tricks, and he scored on five penalty shots, so he could get the job done when the pressure was on. Um, and this guy's leadership was on display regularly. Uh, in 2007, 2008, he was presented with the Mark Messier Award for Leadership. And, uh, you know, Penguins fans will remember he had quite a nice playoff series against the Penguins in 1999. Uh, game, in Game 3 alone, he was able to get two assists, a power play goal, and a game-winning goal. Big reason why they were able to take care of the Penguins in that series. Uh, you know, and when it came time to induct him into the Hall of Fame, he went in on the first ballot. So one of the best forwards of all time from Europe, Matt Sundin. Saunders, so Canadians fans, they look at a lot of things when it comes to hockey, specifically Stanley Cups. Sundin, as great as he was, never got the Toronto Maple Leafs over that hump into the Stanley Cup finals. And, uh, you know, over here, that kind of it, it hurts his legacy a little bit. I'm not, I'm not going to lie about it. It, it does. That, it, it's one of the like glaring omissions from his resume. But uh, what, what, what are your thoughts on Mr. Sundin? I was. I was part of the, uh, I was scouting in Europe for Toronto and Cliff Fletcher was the, the manager in Toronto and um, the discussions was going on with Quebec between uh, Cliff and the, the Nordics. And I was working on the background on, on uh, Matt's parents, uh, siblings, girlfriends, lifestyle, and, and 
whatever it was, it came with a, a big smile on people's face. This guy can play. He's a wonderful human being. If you can get him to Toronto, he will be your captain for the next 10 or 50 years, exactly what he became. Yeah. Did Toronto have a very good team? Me and my mask was there. No, they did not have a very good team. This is Toronto. There's no patience in the, in the city. If they lose uh, twice, there has to be a trade. Matt survived, survived as their leader, as their captain. We're able to communicate with everybody in, in hockey. Uh, so don't blame Mats for not winning the Stanley Cup, which I, I, I agree. That is, I mean, you have to win somewhere along the line. And Mats won more than anybody else and was always the captain for the Swedish Nationals almost for 15 years. And any time he showed up on the Swedish National, he was the national leader, no question. You had Lidstrom, you had Forsberg, you had Naslin, you had wherever, whoever. Mats was the captain. And he was leading Sweden, actually, in very many cases to very good, not only silver or bronze, actually the gold, as it did in the Olympics, for example, in Turin. So Mats and Dean, and he had an, um, I think he scored more goals on his back end than he scored on his forehand because he was absolutely deadly when he came in on a, on a defenseman or a goaltender. He lifted, he had that long, long, long reach and, and lifted that back and up in the top corner and scored, did I say half? Probably not, but say a third of his goals on his back end. What a player, what a personality, what a leader. Let's go, Peter Stastny. Peter Stastny, one of the most important people that we're going to discuss tonight as far as the NHL. Um, <clears throat> Peter was from Bratislava, Slovakia, and he broke out with his brothers Anton and Marion as part of the Czech national team in the 1980 uh, Olympics. But all, between the three, they combined for 16 goals and 34 points in six games at the Olympics. <clears throat> but shortly after the Olympics, uh, Anton and Peter, along with Peter's wife, decided they were going to defect from uh, uh, Slovakia, Czechoslovakia. And so they contacted some of the representatives from the Quebec Nordiques who had flown out. And they secretly got on one of the planes and flew out to uh, be part of the Quebec Nordiques. Um, but they quickly took the lead by storm, both Anton and Peter. Uh, Peter had scored 109 points and 34 goals, 39 goals in his first season in the NHL. Uh, at the time, it was the first time a player had scored more than 100 plus points in their rookie season in the, in the NHL. Um, Peter and Anton, they also shared uh, a, a quite a moment where they both scored eight points in the game uh, against the Washington Capitals. But the following year, their brother Marion came out as part of the Quebec Nordiques, and they formed one of the best lines in the NHL for five or six seasons. Uh, the second season, that the first season that Marion was there, uh, uh, Peter had his best season with 139 points and 47 goals. Over the next five seasons with his brothers, he averaged 118 points and 42 goals per season. In nine of his 16 seasons, he had 25 plus goals in those seasons. Then he was traded to the Devils at the age of 33, where he still 
average, he was still productive score. He's, he averaged almost 20, 20 goals as a 33 to 36 year old player. <clears throat> he retired after the 95, 96 season with the blues. And he retired as the fifth highest scoring ever among European players. Um, one of the, one of the things that stands out to me is that he uh, got the, his start in the league at the age of 24, when most players start between the ages of 18, 19, 20 years old. So he had almost six seasons where he was behind the eight ball. So he only finished <clears throat> uh, with 450 goals, but his 1.26 points per game is still the highest ever for a European bred player. He's won the 80-81 Calder Trophy. And of the 1980s, he was the second highest leading scorer in the league behind the one great, great Wayne Gretzky. And why he should be on this list, his defection, him and his brother's defection opened the floodgates for a lot of Czechoslovakian and Russian players to come play in the NHL. And the fact that he spoke six languages, he helped acclimate a lot of those players adjust to life in the United States and playing with some of their clubs. So that's why he should be on the list top five. So rumor has it in 1984 that all three Stashney brothers were offered to the Pittsburgh Penguins for the first run, first round draft pick, first pick overall, which ended up being Mario Lemieux, and Pittsburgh turned it down. So there's a little story about the Stastny's. So Anders, your thoughts on Peter? Um, let, let's talk about the defecting. Like, what, what what was the process for something like that to even occur back then? I mean, we don't obviously don't see it now, but you know, what, what, what's going through a player's mind when, when something like that's happening and your thoughts on him as a player? Well, let's start with the, uh, the uh, possibility of Europeans coming to North America during the 70s or 80s. There was no Russians arriving. They were not allowed and they had no chance of defecting the consequences for their families. They didn't really know. So the first Russian that defected was McGillney 1989 at the World Championship here in Stockholm. After that, uh, Larionos and the Fetisovs were allowed, but that's also the breakup of the, of the communist system and the Soviet Union, 89, 1991. The first one that really defected, Stasis defected, but kind of from a softer regime in Czechoslovakia than uh, than in, in Russia. And, but the one that really defected, that really had, and he had no idea of the consequences of his family, was Václav Nenomansky. And he defected in 1974. That was a brave, he was brave. He took a huge risk. Uh, and he managed, still lives in, in the United States, actually, the same as, as Peter does. But 84 or 85, and at the time, they were a little older. They were mature. Uh, uh, they were kind of given the okay, not okay, but allowed to leave uh, for Quebec. In a, when the political situation had softened in Europe in, in many ways. The Swedes or the Finns, hey, we live in a democratic uh, community, society. We could do anything we wanted to uh, from very early states. That's why Thomas Bergman was the first European that went to North America and Detroit Red Wings, 1972. Uh, but the Stasnys then arriving, they played in Quebec. They came together as a family almost. They played together. Peter was the star of the Stasny brothers. 
he had the personality, he had the skills, he had all the, the intangibles to become a, a really, really good player. And his NHL stats, which are maybe the best of them all, 1.27 uh, points per game, but also because he arrived as a 25-year-old. So his, his prime was actually in North America. He's actually not as a young, really young, where you're too young to really produce. He, he really played his prime, prime, prime in Quebec uh, and was the absolutely fabulous player. He, uh, he, could, he could score, he could check, he could skate, he could think. He was strong. I, I, I don't know where the weakness was. Nowhere. Let's go to Stan Makita. Stan Makita, center, Chicago Blackhawks, played his entire career in a Blackhawk uniform from the Soapat Republic. Um, again, I don't know how I did this, but I picked another player that wore the number 21. I just looked that up as I was just sitting here. Um, he, of course, is a Hockey Hall of Famer. Uh, won one Stanley Cup with the Chicago Blackhawks, 1961. He had 11 points in 12 games. He played almost 1,400 games, scoring 541 goals. Uh, he was one of the players, I guess, at a time that played with a crooked stick. That was one of the cool things about him. Um, I guess I just found out uh, from my roommate, who's a huge NHL fan, that one of his superstitions was he had to smoke between every period. It was a superstition of his. I don't know what, why that. And also what I find cool about him is, remember, in Wayne's World, there was a Stan Makita Donuts. I mean, you that's can't right. that. Uh, that was cool about him, but uh, that's Stan Makita right there. So he, uh, Anders, he played with the, the golden bread there, Brett. Uh, or Bob. No, 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 no. He played with a golden hull. Yes. Uh, Bobby oh, Hall, Brett. Bobby Hall. Hey, don't and don't compare Brett and Bobby because Brett was terrific and he was fabulous, but Dad Bobby Hall was a different different level than than Brett and 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 Bobby played with Nikita Chikov. So quite the duo with them, and and as Brad mentioned, uh, they're basically responsible for the banana blade, the curved blade. Um, they were at an advantage for a while there until the NHL figured out we got to have some sort of, you know, level that the pucks at least got to fit under it. But uh, I know your argument against uh, Makita, so I'm going to let you make that. But uh, what also did you think of him as a, as a player? Well, I really don't know. I might have played against him uh, when he represented Canada at the 72 series Team Canada played, came and played two games here in Stockholm. They played four games against the Russians in Canada, played two exhibition or bigger ice type of games here in Stockholm, the Swedish Nationals, before they, uh, they continued to, to Moscow. Actually, that's when I decided, Jesus, if these guys, the Canadians, if these are all superstars, I think I'm going to make a living out of this. I was 21 year old and I could, I could skate with them. So, uh, Stan Mikita, uh, that's the only time. And he basically was finished when Bobby left. We came to, to Winnipeg 74. Stan Mikita, I have very little memory of him as a player. I know him as a player, uh, but not very well. And I don't think he's a European player. I think he basically grew up in, in Canada. So uh, he was born in Czechoslovakia. 
but basically he uh, immigrated or moved with his family, whatever, to Canada in, in, in a young age and, and must be considered a Canadian player. Uh, that's a good argument against. Let's move on to our final player tonight, who we know was born in Europe and lived in Europe. It's Anders Hedberg. So, oh no, wait, wait, wait! You you have to have you have to have Niklas Lidstrom as part of the presentation. I mean, well, yeah. we're doing forwards only. So, Lindstrom oh, forward. <laughs> okay, that's why Solming and and Lidstrom. I guess I couldn't figure that out. Uh, I couldn't. Okay, do Anders Hedberg. Fine. That's right. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, I got to have you on the list here. So played for Sweden, 66 to 74. Then he came over to America at age 23, which is actually kind of old to start your career. If you think well, about I had it, to get my itself. education in place. I wasn't going to be making a living out of hockey. Smart man. <laughs> went to the, the World Hockey Association, the Winnipeg Jets. He was there from 74 to 78. Then he went to the Rangers from 78 to 85. So when we combine all his points in all his leagues, I got 958 career points. I'm pretty sure that's accurate. I think my math was right. So um, he's the only two-time Swedish junior player of the year. So that's a nice little uh, trophy case for him there. So I want to talk about the 76-77 season. These are Gretzky-like numbers this that season. Only 68 games, 70 goals, 131 points. Um, and, of course, he was an all-star uh, that year. That is a fantastic. That's almost two points a game. Um, every year that he was in the World Hockey Association, he was in the all-star game. He won the rookie of the year there, the Luke Kaplan Trophy. Um, he's got 13 career hat tricks. He's a great playoff performer, 109 points in 100 games. We all know in the playoffs it's a different game. So if you can continue to have a point a game or a point above a game uh, in the playoffs, that's outstanding. He's got two WHA championships, and he has the second highest plus minus in World Hockey uh, Association history at plus 206. And he's first in um, goals per game in the World Hockey Association history. So add all that into also what I had said in the intro about um, all the Hall of Fames. He's also got um, he's got a silver medal. Uh, what is it? Five bronzes, three bronzes. I for, forget it at the moment, but he's got tons in his trophy case. I know it's hard to talk about yourself. I, I get that, um, but let, let's just go with kind of a, of a question of what made you decide to when you did come over to go to the WHA instead of the NHL. Uh. I was actually asked first time, I was the by far the youngest player on the Swedish Nationals uh, uh, playing at the World Championship in 1970. And somebody from Vancouver called me, Vancouver Canucks uh, expansion team. I had no idea, never been to North America, um, had no idea. I mean, I, we weren't able to follow NHL. We knew it was a professional league. And as I said earlier in the comments, I wasn't thinking of making hockey. You couldn't make a living out of hockey. I had to get an education. And my, my father was not interested in, in sports at all. But he said, you can play as much as you like, but you have to look after schooling. So I had to finish my degree. So I, I have a teaching degree. And that's why I arrived 74. I had offers uh, from 70 to 72, 73 belonged to Toronto uh, at the time 
but it was myself, Ulf Nilsson, and the captain of the Swedish Nationals. We decided to go to Winnipeg because one of the uh, teachers at my university, he was here on a research project for hockey physiology. He was from Winnipeg, and he called the guys in Winnipeg, say, you, you have to come over. There is players here. They can play. So Ulf and I and, and Lars Eric that became the captain in Winnipeg, we decided pretty well to go together to Winnipeg. Um, at the time, Tommy Berman, as I said, was in, in Detroit already. He was the first that never played in the minors, nothing right into the team. And then Borea and Inge Hammerstrom uh, went 73 to Toronto. I belonged to Toronto. I could have gone there. Actually, they were paying me more money in Toronto. But we had made up our mind. We're going to, to Winnipeg to find out what this, what this is all about. All right. Well, we got some shout-outs before we hit our vote. Uh, guys that just missed the list, Marion Hosa, uh, the Sandin Twins, Alfredson, Zetterberg, Naslin, Bondra, Gaborik, and Eliash. All very good players. Just missed our list tonight. Let's move into our vote, guys. You cannot vote for your own. Brad, who are you taking? That's Sundin. That's Sundin. All right. Wasn't expecting that one. All right. Brian. Um, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm impressed with, uh, with Solani. I mean, that, <laughs> what a goal scorer he was. All right. I'm going to take Yager. I mean, trying to have Yager. <laughs> All right, Rollo. NHL 98 cover EA Sports, Peter Forsberg. Peter Forsberg. Anders, you got your choice of, uh, Yari Curdy, Peter Stashney. We know you're not taking Makita. And uh, yourself, of course. Uh, oh, God. Between Stasny and Curry? <laughs> That's tough. Uh, that is, it's, it's almost, 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 almost impossible. But I, I have to say that I probably would take Stasny. Um, Curry won four Stanley Cups, but it was such a, they had such a powerful team. Um, even if, so I'll take Stasny. I have to take Stasny as an individual. All right. So Legacy Battles, top five European forwards of all time. Timo Solani, Matt Sundin, Peter Stasny, Yammer Yager, Peter Forsberg. Nice job, guys. Let's move into our Q&A. Uh, let's see. Rollo, you got the win tonight. You got both on. You got first question. Go ahead. So Anders, you played, you grew up in a small town in Sweden, you wound up going to Winnipeg, and then you wound up going to the Big Apple. How was that transition going into an environment like New York City and playing at Madison Square Garden? <laughs> I had never been to New York. And my first, we, we, beca we became, me and, and Oaf became free agents. I'm just speaking free agents. First ever in the history of hockey. And we had offers from every NHL team. Uh, at the time, it was 16. And we first, uh, first New York, and I said to him, and we had decided we can go together. I said, no, New York is too big for me. I can't manage. That's too big. And Ulf said, no, you're not. He was from Stockholm. We're going to, to New York because if you're going to make it big, you have to make it in New York. So we went to New York, and we had a wonderful I had a wife. Ulf was injured most of the time, unfortunately, but we had a, just a fabulous experience in, in the Big Apple. 
Brad, then Brian. Uh, Andres, I have to ask. I'm a huge Lightning fan. Can I get your opinion on Victor Edmund? Well, here is uh, here is another big boy from my hometown. Can you pronounce it? Unschuldsvik. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not even going to attempt that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I know. I don't know his his father. I know Peter Forsberg's father and Marcus Nelson's parents. I know the players too, obviously. I don't know Hetman, and I don't know his parents, but I know his brother actually. And he comes from exactly the right background. I mean, they love the game. They've learned the game. They've, they played it. They had their, uh, a skating sheet, a, a little rink beside where they grew up. That's where you become a player. And here is a, here is a, uh, a six, six, I think he is, six, six. Today, today probably 220 and moves like a player that is six, foot 180 pounds and an unbelievable reach there is an aura around him don't come close to him because you can't get around him it's impossible and he can obviously it helps his production that he plays with what who plays on the right side on the power play and who plays on the left side on the power play he just distributes and then he's the safety guard. And sometimes they let him even shoot the puck, you know, or there's a tip in. But hey, and he has competitiveness in him. He comes to com compete every night. Is it physical? No. But you don't have to be physical when you're 6'6 six, six and 220. You just have to push guys anyhow. And he does. And he, obviously, he's a winner. Uh, and, and I can see... Uh, he uh, he treats people around him when he comes back to Unsersvik. There's a little town of 25,000 people in Sweden. He's very gentle. He is polite. He behaves and he belongs. And thank you for for letting him play in, in Tampa and enjoy himself. <laughs> well, Anders, in 1976-77, you were able to score 50 goals in the first 50 games of that season. Uh, this is something that only a select few hockey players have ever done in the history of the sport. Uh, so did you know that you were getting close to number 50? And and how were you able to get off to such a great start? Uh, no, I didn't. No, I didn't know about uh, any of the records, whatever. But remember, we had in Winnipeg, and I had I played with Bobby Hall and Ulf Nielsen. Uh, if we could have moved to... New York, NHL, or whatever, you know, at that time, we would have done very well. We came to New York 78, and New York went to the finals. Ulf was actually injured most of the season, and he had been the best player, of, best of, our best player. I wasn't very good. Our best player up to the point, he played about 60, 65 games. And we had a better team in, in Winnipeg than in New York that went to the finals. We couldn't say that at the time. That was impossible. But 70 or 50 goals in 50 games, no, I didn't have a clue. But when you are privileged to play with uh, line mates and uh, Lars Erik Schoberg uh, behind us, and we played as a five, uh, uh, it, was a, it was a pleasure and... and 
it was pretty easy to score 50 goals <laughs> with those linemates and those players around me and that team. So after your NHL playing career, you became assistant general manager to the great legend Craig Patrick. Um, you know, I just Craig know. still lives in Pittsburgh, doesn't he? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. he does. I think he does. Exactly. So I just wanted to hear your thoughts on, on working from him, with him. Like, did, what did you learn from him? I know you later on you went on to become a scout and, and a GM of Sweden and, and a couple other positions in the hockey world. So uh, what did you learn from Craig Patrick? I, I learned, uh, I only worked one year, and, and I, I retired at the age of 35. I was by far the oldest player on the team. And Craig asked me immediately if I wanted to join him as an assistant to him in New York. It was much smaller management at the time. He, he taught me, first of all, he came from a very, I mean, a real hockey family. He had sort of grown up with hockey parents, grandparents, uh, uncles, how humble you have to be to survive and survive in, in, in connecting with people around the hockey world. Uh, so he taught me those values very early and we, we got along terrific. Unfortunately, he got fired uh, after one year and, and when, we, when he got fired, I also sort of followed him uh, along out the door in New York. And then I went back to Sweden and managed uh, the first manager for a Swedish elite club here in Sweden. And after about two, one year, Craig got the job in, in Pittsburgh. He calls me and uh, say, Anders, I want you to come over. I want you to be my assistant in Pittsburgh. And I said, I just moved to Sweden. I just settled down my family. Uh, Craig, I'm sorry. I, I, I can't make it because I have to sort of had three kids at a time, all born in New York. Uh, they had started school, you know, and the, uh, all those type of things. So, uh, but he, to answer your question, he taught me more than anything else to be open-minded and humble uh, in front of the fans, in front of the, the players that you were scouting and not the least the players that you had on your team and make it a real team. Raul, go ahead. We just did a list of the top five European players, but who would you put as your top three Swedish-born players? Uh, my top three would be... It would be... The first one would be uh, uh, Niklas Lidstrom. Not because of his personality, but his the way he played, it was no physique, but you couldn't beat him. He won, won two or three Stanley Cups in, in, in Detroit. He played for 15, 20 years. Um, he was Norris Trophy six or seven times during his career. He is, he is my number one. Not in personality, and he wouldn't be considered number one, I don't think, in Sweden. But for me, he is the number one. Uh, the number two, the number two is probably Matt Sandin. I, I'm, I probably wasn't as good player. Peter Forsberg was a better player at his absolute peak, but Peter had a, 
uh, sort of a shorter career, and it was ups and downs. He was injured. At, at Peter's best, Peter would be num- my number two. But over a career, from start to finish, Matt Sandit had a longer career. He was the captain of the team. He was a leader of his team in Toronto. So I would pick Matt Sandin as number two in terms of impact on one particular game or one particular season. The, the, the best level of them all would be Peter Forsberg. But as I said before, he, he, because of the injuries, uh, he didn't deliver because he was injured. Uh, uh, and only played maybe three full seasons. Otherwise, it was injuries interrupting his game and his play. Uh, and the four, I have to make one more because there's four sort of Swedish that would be considered better than anybody else. And there's Boreas Olning in Toronto. He played for a long, long time. It was no question that he was competing. They loved him in Toronto. Toronto was also sort of a media hub of hockey in many ways. But those players I mentioned, not only three, those are the, the four major, major Swedish players. Okay, um, Anders, uh, what was it like for you to become the general manager for the Swedish national team, uh, you know, calling the shots for the team that represented your country? Uh, at the time, at the time I had been assistant manager in, in Toronto, I had been assistant to the, the man, manager in New York. I had been manager in, for a Swedish elite team. Uh, uh, I had accepted the, the job, but not publicized the job in Sweden to be, become the, the general manager. And Glenn Sather, that I had known from the WHA time, called me and said, Anders, I'm going to New York. I need an assistant. And I'm saying, Glenn... Give me two days. Give me two or three days. I have to think this over uh, before I, because I've just accepted, not public, but I accepted to become the manager in Sweden. So uh, it was uh, actually it was a short term opportunity. I just wanted to do it. I love I love hockey. I, and Swedish hockey is fine. And at the time, they needed somebody to to. Uh, they had played a very conservative, conservative weight in the middle of ice, no forechecking, don't make any mistakes type style for 10 years. So Swedish hockey was really going the wrong direction. And I almost took that upon, I have to change the thinking. I mean, hockey is a game of intensity. A game, uh, hockey is a game of creating chances by other mistakes. Don't wait for the others to make the mistakes. Create chances. So that way, it was a it was a fun job opportunity that I couldn't resist. But I only said I'm only, only going to do it for two years, and that's what I did. And then I went back to North America uh, and went to Ottawa, actually. So we'll get you out of here with this tonight. Uh, I want you to tell me about the 1979 Challenge Cup. NHL versus the Russian national team. I mean, tell me a little bit about that series. And and uh, it was kind of, wasn't as much of a bloodbath as the Summit series, but uh, you know there was still a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, I 
I can hardly remember. It was in New York, uh, and uh, it was a strange. It was a strange setup. Uh, the the uh, the Soviet Union or the CCP had probably prepared for uh, for a month for, before these games, and here the NHL is putting a, a group together. They they uh, select uh, select you come in uh, two days before first game. No preparation. No thinking, uh, no uh, philosophy. How the hell are you going to play? We all came from different environments, and it. I think we, we, uh, the uh, the uh, Canada U.S. team or the NHL team won one game out of three. Didn't we lose the the uh, one game badly? Uh, I, I believe um, so. Yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't a very good experience. I have to admit, not at all. But at the same time. It was a really fun experience because uh, this was our first year in New York. We were able to meet a lot of other players in the National Hockey League that had no connection with, didn't know at all. So suddenly you're sort of invited in, in, invited into the, the best room of, of the players in, in the NHL. And at that time, the NHL was, the WHA was gone. So now it was only one league. Well, thank you so much. Honors Hedberg, join us tonight. Hockey legend. Appreciate that a lot. Thank you. And Go ahead. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. Here I'm, I'm sitting, uh, uh, and this is, uh, this is a wonderful world, and, and you, uh, you represent sort of uh, uh, a grassroots of, of hockey from, from North America, and I'm sitting in Stockholm, and hockey is incredibly important. But today I have to say there's one more issue that is much more important than the hockey, who's winning, who's losing. That's the situation in Ukraine. Uh, and, and let me explain why. Because uh, Sweden, just like Canada and the United States, are democratic, human rights. Uh, the, the courts are working. Um, and... And the, the, the possible changes if Russia, in this case, and Putin, not Russia, it's Putin, are able to overrun a potential democracy as Ukraine with 40 million people, that would be unbelievable severe consequences for you, me, my children, my grandchildren, for hockey and the world. So let's put our little show here in perspective that really matters today is what's going on in Ukraine. Absolutely. So thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Biden, for supporting Ukraine as, as well as you do. That is very much appreciated for us Europeans. I'll remind everybody, hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening on. We'll see you next time. Thank you for watching. Have a great night.